seated and uh, just kind of turn around and say hello to somebody and make them feel right at home. Good to see you all uh, tonight. You out there, thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, we had a great service, as I mentioned this morning, and we do have a bulletin available and, and many quotes and, and good information on the subject of prayer and getting your prayers answered. You want to go over that material again, and if you tap in the right place, you get a digital copy, those of you that are online. I mentioned this morning my sister's book. We're going to be stocking in the bookstore some copies of her books as they are available, and also uh, some of Corey Barton's books and some other items. We've got some special days coming ahead, and you want to get some of those good books and make them a part of your of your library and of your giving to others as well. We have uh, out there in the foyer the, the new copies of Days of Praise for uh, the coming months of September, October, November. I hope that you'll get yours. We still have uh, a, a week and two days left on the, the old Days of Praise, but we've got the new ones out there. And don't forget our special love offering project. It's going to run through next Sunday, and that is project number 10 to place a Bible, a pocket-sized Bible in the hands of every member of the Polish military and law enforcement. We want to do what we can uh, to win uh, that entire nation to Jesus Christ, and you can be part of that. I hope that you will and uh, that you'll give to that. We've got a very busy week ahead of us. We're getting ready to open a number of things. We're trial ballooning a number of ministries, and uh, praise God for the opportunity to do that. Thank you for all the hard work that's been done, and uh, we appreciate each one who has lent a hand and done what they can do. All right, praise the Lord. Well, we sang Help Somebody Today. Another song that is a favorite of ours goes along those lines. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a word or song, if I can show somebody he is traveling wrong, then my living shall not be in vain. And I believe that God has placed us here so that we can make a difference in the lives of others. I hope that every day in every way that that's what we're going to be doing. I'll be giving you some scriptures from the Old and New Testaments alike, but I'm going to help you to put it all together tonight in a practical way. I hope the, the three simplified points on prayer helped you this morning. You know, we've got to start with faith. We've got to forgive and be forgiven, and we've got to just keep going forward. Amen. And that's how we're going to have a successful prayer life and a life for God. God wants you to be a success. God doesn't want you to be a failure. God wants you to be a success. God wants you to ask Him for things according to His will and to ask in faith and to see those things come to pass so that you can testify of the goodness of God to others. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, would you please, and turn with me in the Old Testament to the book of Ecclesiastes. You say, Ecclesiastes, that's a strange place to start. Well, I just want to start there because, as you know, Ecclesiastes was one of several books written by Solomon, the son of David. He wrote uh, Song of Solomon and uh, the Proverbs when he was younger, but he wrote Ecclesiastes when he was older. He had seen everything and experienced everything that, uh, that you can experience in life. And he was uh, kind of a depressed old man, but he kind of summarized everything under the sun. Everything that, that uh, you know, life as you can sense it through the five senses. And the very end of the book, if you come to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, after 
that uh, narrative about a person growing old, and we've got the symbolism of the different parts of the body breaking down. Anybody feel like that? Can you hear the very noise of your body parts breaking down as you get older and more decrepit? Well, as we come to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, before all the wheels fall off the wagons, we do have these two verses. Verses 13 and 14. Verses 13 and 14. Now keep in mind, uh, this is under the law, and this is before Jesus Christ came. But still, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The bottom line, in other words, as we're speaking tonight, fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, we're going to look at this in just a moment, talk about what it does say and what it doesn't say. A lot of times what something does not say speaks louder than what it does say. As I said, this is Old Testament, Old Dispensation, uh, before Jesus Christ came. But we know that Jesus Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So Jesus Christ in your life and my life can be the fulfillment uh, in our life as well. So that whereas you and I can never possibly hope to achieve the high ideals of the law as it has been given. We understand the law is a schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Everybody understand that? That's the ultimate goal. The law doesn't save anybody. The law shows us our need of a Savior. But with Jesus Christ in our life and us yielding to Him as believers, it is possible for us to be law-abiding, to be appropriate, to be right, uh, to do what we ought to do in terms of our daily life, and as Solomon says here, the whole duty of man. That is, we can fear God in the sense that the Lord is working through us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And we can keep His commandments insofar as the Lord enables us. That's very true. And so we can, we can be an orderly people. We can be a proper and a right uh, behaving people. This is not a plan of salvation. It's not how we get saved. It's not how we keep salvation. But I believe God wants us to have that kind of a lifestyle, which obviously is above uh, those people who don't have the Lord in their life. We need, we need to be behaving, comporting ourselves as examples, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And this means far more than just knowing in our head certain doctrines. I've talked about this before. We, we know some Bible, and uh, we have been able to quote some verses, and we're able to share some truth. But are we truly fulfilling the plan of God by simply knowing some things and quoting some things and sharing some things, or is it far more than that? What God desires in you and in me is a transformed life. This Bible ought to change us from the inside out. Because we have the Holy Spirit, He can activate the truth of the doctrine of the Word of God so that we actually live out the doctrine. We actually behave the doctrine. And that's where we're going to be getting to tonight. I want to give you the bottom line. It's more than just knowing something, more than just quoting something, more than just sharing something. As good as that is, I mean, you ought to memorize the Word of God and quote it to people, and that's all good. But we ought to do and be more than just that. Lord, fill me with the Spirit.
I pray that tonight you'll help me once again to, to go very basic. And so every child, every young person who's viewing this, every person who will hear this in the future will know that it's possible for us to experience that transformed life through Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. So let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The whole business of living under the sun is all directed toward our fearing God. Let's just put it this way. Our relationship with God. Before anything else, as a priority, mankind needs to learn to come to know who God is and come to terms with who God is. We have to deal with God. Sooner or later, we're going to have to acknowledge God. And we know according to Paul in Philippians chapter 2, someday every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of lords. He's King of kings. That's going to happen. But how much better it is to discover the truth of who God is and what He expects of us as we come to Him the Bible way. Many people have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel. One of the things we do when we present the gospel, we show our unworthiness and our need and our depravity. We need a Savior. We've got to have a Savior. There's only one who qualifies as Savior. That's Jesus Christ. When we come to know Him as Savior, He comes into our heart and life, and He wants to live out through us. Now, remember, it's not what you know. It's not what you quote. It's not what you share alone, but the transformation that takes place in our life. So when the Bible says, fear God, that means come to terms with who God is and what our place is in the universe and what He expects of us. And then when it says, and keep His commandments, we understand that we can't perfectly keep the law. The law shows our need. But through Christ, if Christ is in our life, now we understand dispensationally, now that Christ has come, that He is the fulfillment of the law. And He is going to live out through our life so that people see that there's order and that there's propriety and that we're God's people, that we belong to Him. A generation or two ago, there was a whole group of professing believers who thought the way to live was to be as worldly as you can be on the outside so everybody who's lost would identify. And we found out just how mistaken and misguided that was. You know, you can't, you can't uh, look and behave and dress and act like you're lost and draw anybody to Christ. By the same token, you can't just put on a performance. There has to be a real heart transformation. But when there's a heart transformation, remember, God looketh, on the heart, man looketh on the outward appearance, and that's the way it's going to work. It's going to work its way out. That transformation is going to work its way out. You know, work out your own salvation, Paul says in Philippians, with fear and trembling. So it needs to be worked out to the surface, not to be, to be worked on, but to be worked out so the people can see our salvation from the inside out. There needs to be a difference. There's been a great change since I've been born again. We used to sing that chorus all the time. Now, people need to sense in our attitude, our spirit, uh, in, our, in our behavior, in our speech patterns, that a change has taken place. 
that we are no longer the same person. Now, we don't do those things like a list of to-dos in order to get points with God. If you've been taught that, you've been taught wrong. That's, that's not it at all. God's still waiting for our heart to be lined up with His heart. And sometimes a person who has a desire, who has the right heart, doesn't always do everything right. Uh, for example, David. David made some very serious, serious blunders in his life. Uh, even though he was a man after God's own heart, he didn't always do things exactly right. But he had his heart lined up as a pattern of living with God's purposes. And God said, there's a man I can do something with. Even though he's flawed, he makes mistakes, he stumbles, he makes serious Serious uh, uh, errors, he sins, he's still a man after my own heart. God's looking for some folks who, maybe you, maybe me, who will be willing to line up with his heart. That's it. So that on the outside, the behavior that comes forth, which is spirit-directed, which is an extension of Jesus Christ living out of us, will be Jesus Christ in front of a lost and dying world. My attitude should be Jesus' attitude. My words should be Jesus' words. My uh, behavior should be Jesus' behavior. That's what it means to keep His commandments. There it is. There it is. All right. So, we know, we know that, well, if you back up a verse, verse 12, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 12, and further by these my son be admonished of making many books there is no end, and of much study is, is a weariness of flesh. All the students say amen. All right. In other words, the answer, the answer is not simply in how much education we can get. Uh, years ago, I remember one Christian educator saying to a group of secular educators, you have been told all the way through your educational process that education is the answer. But education is not the answer. And one secular educator raised his hand to object and say education is the answer. Why, if we can educate the people, we can save them from this and we can do this and we can do that. In other words, salvation is an education. How foolish is that? And the Christian educator said, I would like everyone to come with me. Where, where are we going? Why don't you come with me? And they went to the teacher's lounge. And you could cut the smoke in the teacher's lounge with a scissors. I mean, it was that thick. Everybody's smoking in there. And brushing away the smoke, the Christian educator said, you see, you say education is the answer. How many of you have been told that this is bad for your health? <coughs> and yet you're all in here and you're having a smoke. Education's not the answer. Jesus Christ is still the answer. The transformation that comes from inside out is still the answer. Religion is not the answer. Education is not the answer. Better government is not the answer. You know, benefits from the government, that's not the answer. All of these suggestions that man is putting forth will fail because they're all based upon humanistic reasoning. What I am saying to you is based upon the Word of God, which will never change. A change from inside, a transformation, a, a holy uh, change that takes place because of regeneration. That's what we need. And not more education. And not more experience. And not more, you know, piling on more and more and more and more. It's all about God making a change 
on the inside. When God changes us from the inside, we can come to terms with God's expectations, can't we? We know that what God expects of us, He provides grace. The Bible teaches that. We can do what God, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. I can do what God commands me to do. I can be who God commands me to be, but I am going to do and be those things by the grace of God that He provides. I'm not going to try to do this. How silly for me to fall back and try to do it in the energy and the witness of the flesh. That's not going to work. It's going to be by grace. And coming to terms with God means that I can also, I can love God with all of my heart, soul, and mind, and I can love my neighbor as myself. And so the outworking of what we've just read is the, the fruit or the works that come out of our life, the result of our being yielded to God. For God shall bring every work into judgment. Now, we, we understand, we understand that the judgment for our sins took place at Calvary. The judgment of our, our, our works as a believer, since we've been saved, will be at the beam of judgment. We understand that. None of this has to do with salvation. It has to do with a daily life. It has to do with every day, every hour, every minute, every second of our life. This is the bottom line. This is it. God shall bring every work into judgment. It's all going to come under review with every secret thing. We know how that works. We have the contrast between that which can be seen and felt and touched and tasted and, and heard, the five senses, and that which cannot be, it's hidden from the five sentence, senses. And so that's a secret thing, something that you can't determine. What are some of those secret things? What's going on inside of me? There is no way, unless I am telegraphing, you know, with my face and my expression, what's going on inside of me. There's no way for anybody here to know what's going on inside of me. What's going on inside of me is my business and God's business. And that's where I need to be working. I need to be allowing the Lord to have His way in my motivation and, uh, and working on me from the inside out. But nobody else, all of the, all of the rules and directives that, that I give to those that are under, under uh, my concern, uh, if I'm a parent, a grandparent, or a pastor, or an employer, or a commanding officer, or whatever it may be, uh, you know what? I know people, it just bugs them to death. They say, get that smirk off your face. You had somebody standing at attention in formation, and you got a smirk on your face. Not allowed to do that, are you, Daquan? No. And there are some, some instructors down at basics that will get the smile off your face. Right now, Marine, right now, Airman, right now, Soldier, uh, right now, absolutely. And, um, and so... But you don't know what's going on inside of me. And I don't know what's going on inside of you, but God knows. God knows every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So what conditions all of this? If we keep His commandments, let's talk about that for a moment. The, the Ten Commandments, let's turn there for just a moment, are in... Exodus chapter 20, also in Deuteronomy, but let's go to Exodus chapter 20. I hope you've got them marked, and I hope you've learned them, and I hope you go over them, because while they don't provide forgiveness of sin and, and salvation, 
They are very, very, very important. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, verse number 3. Verse number 4, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and so on. The first four of the Ten Commandments have to do with our relationship with God. The last six have to do with our relationship with each other. So when we think about keeping His commandments, that's Jesus Christ living out of us. That's us under the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ fulfilling the law. As, as we keep everything in an appropriate and balanced way in our life, this has to do with our relationship with God that we talked about and our relationship with our fellow man. There it is. Keeping His commandments. It has to do. You cannot be a hermit. You cannot go off someplace and live in a cave. I've told you about the fellow I picked up, the hitchhiker. He had quite a reputation in the high desert, Southern California. He, uh, he, he was, it was known that he lived in a cave. He had the cave. I mean, he actually had the walls plastered and he had every, I mean, he lived in a cave. And uh, kind of a nice setup. Turned out he was a piano tuner. I knew there had to be something strange about it. Played the piano, had a piano in the cave. And I picked him up back in the days when you could pick up hitchhikers, and I went through the whole plan of salvation with them. And uh, it was an interesting discussion, but people who live in caves tend to be a little different. And people who are hermits off by themselves tend to be a little different. And, and they have a way of justifying in their mind uh, that because everybody else has their own ways of doing it, and I have my ways of doing what I do. I can just be by myself and not worry about anybody else. God does not want us to be isolated from the rest of the world. God wants us to interact with the rest of the world. You say, even with all those sinners, yes, uh, we're, we're sinners too, but we're sinners saved by grace. So here, let me straighten out your thinking. I just want to stay away from those people, all right? Unless they are militant and they mean you harm, Somebody who holds an ungodly, perverse position needs Jesus Christ. So, you may go to a restaurant. It might be a high-end, nice restaurant. The person comes to serve you obviously has some gender confusion. What should you do? You treat them with as much kindness as the Holy Spirit will give you grace to treat them. They're somebody's son or daughter even though they don't know which they are. You understand what I'm saying? And you do everything in your power to be a witness and leave a testimony and try to win them to Christ because I believe the power of God can transform them. Satan has spent all this time with the world and the flesh messing them up and this society is contributing to that and our legal system is contributing to that and even those who claim to be religious leaders are, are part of that now. You walk into the old line, main line Protestant churches and just about every one of them has gender confusion in their pulpit. So what do we do? You can consign them all to hell if you want to, my friend, but you're not going to be fulfilling what the Lord says here about the whole duty of man. What about those last six commandments? Do those only apply to people who dress right, act right, behave right, even though they themselves are not saved on the inside? Are we expecting everybody out there, outside these four walls, to act like a Christian is supposed to act and look like a Christian is supposed to look and do what a Christian is supposed to do, even though they never had God's saving grace in their life? Don't be silly. 
That's not possible. They can fake it, but they can't fake it very long. People need the Lord. They need to be saved the Bible way. And until then, we need to behave toward people as we're reading here, keeping His commandments, the whole duty of man. That's the bottom line. There it is. There it is. Showing what? Agape love. Agape love is not compromise. I don't compromise when somebody who's gender confused uh, serves me. I show agape love without compromise. If they were to ask me about it, I would give them the scripture. I'd do it with a smile. Absolutely. If, if somebody is protesting biblical morality on some level, uh, outside of a place of business or in a public arena somewhere, instead of engaging them on a purely carnal, political basis, I must engage them as Jesus Christ would. I'm so sorry, it hurts my heart that you stand for the murder of the unborn. I'm so glad that your mother didn't exercise her legal right in that respect. And I want you to know that it is the very mercy of God that you have breath in your body right now. And you were designed by Almighty God as every unborn child is designed by God and is known by God. God has a wonderful purpose for your life. I know you think you're doing something out here that's going to help people to be free and do their own thing. But I want you to think about it. I want you to think about that little person who is going to Go out into eternity. And because God in His mercy takes care of that little person, if you get saved, you'll, you'll see that person again in a better place called heaven. I want you to know that God still loves you, even though you're wrong on this issue. And even though I, I will vote just the opposite of your vote, and I will negate your vote every chance I get, I want you to know the greatest desire God has for you is the greatest desire that I have for you that you would come to God through Jesus Christ and be born again. Is it possible for us who are, who are so straight on these moral issues and these, these which have become political and legal issues, is it possible for us to shil, still show agape love? Yes. Emphatically, yes. Yes. Faith? Yes. Hope? Yes. Charity, but the greatest of these is what? Charity, agape love. God loves that person even though he doesn't love their sin. God loves that person more than we could ever describe. He loved them so much that if they had been the only sinner who ever lived, Jesus Christ would have died on the cross for that person who is for killing the unborn. Jesus Christ would have died for that person who is gender confused and did, if they'll receive him as Savior, they'll be saved. I want you to think about this. There are people who anger you in the political arena, and they anger me too, but that's all in the flesh. We need to think about it. Do you know that there is an eternity awaiting Joe Biden? There is an eternity awaiting Kamala Harris. There is an eternity awaiting everybody on the Supreme Court and everybody who is in the cabinet and everybody who is in leadership at the Pentagon and everybody who is in leadership through both houses of Congress and whoever is governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general. And all these folks, there is an eternity facing them 
And without Jesus Christ, they won't make heaven. And even if we got them to see politically as we see and vote as we want them to vote, if they don't now do so, that would not save their immortal soul. They need Jesus. Every person who displays or manifests this wrong lifestyle, this wrong behavior, they say these wrong things, they stand for these wrong positions, they need Jesus. It is not compromise for us to show agape love. Stand your ground for what is right, but don't lapse into carnality and get into an argument, get nose to nose and toe to toe and roll up your sleeves and say, I'm going to thrash you right now. That might have worked for some people in some places and some cultures, but I got to tell you, I don't find it in the Word of God. You may think that's just a, a wonderful way of, of standing up for things and being right about things, but that's not the way God intended it to be. I want to share with you uh, a scripture right now that many people have misunderstood through the years. I want you to go to uh, the book of Micah, please, Micah, and chapter number 6. Micah chapter number 6. Micah chapter number 6. And verse number 8. Micah 6 and verse number 8. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Now, I have actually heard a preacher say that we can't expect this kind of behavior because we are in a new dispensation. That's old dispensation. That's minor prophet Micah. And he is addressing a particular group of people, but that can't possibly apply to those of us who are saved and part of this New Testament church age dispensation. I got to tell you, that is upside down and backward reasoning. We understand that having become born again believers and having been saved the Bible way, there is a brand new relationship, but it is actually an expanded relationship. And all that we find in the Old Testament, we build on that. And certainly if this was expected in the Old Testament, what is good, what is required by God to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God, how much more for us under grace? If God expected Old Testament saints to tithe, how much more does He expect of New Testament saints in grace giving? The same is true of our behavior. Do you understand where I'm going with this? This is so very important because uh, so often uh, we think, well, it's not the same thing, and so we're just not, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, get soft in this area. What do you mean soft? God's Word says that He loves us, and He loves us unconditionally, and that's the way we ought to love people. And we shouldn't compromise and give up or give in, but nevertheless, we should love folks. So how do you measure your day's output? How do you measure your life? The, the hours, the, the minutes, the seconds that comprise your day. I found a, an old, yellowed by age poem, and it's called A Day Well Spent. If you sit down at the set of sun and count the acts that you have done, and counting find 
one self-denying deed, one word that eased the heart of him who heard, one glance most kind that fell like sunshine where it went, then you may count that day well spent. This is all by God's grace and for His glory, but that's it. If I can help somebody as I pass along, then my living shall not be in vain. A mentor taught me to daily read from three books of the Bible. And while I haven't always done this, I think it's a good program. He said, read from the Psalms for comfort. Read from Proverbs for character. And read from the book of Acts for power. I think that's a good program. As we think of the book of Psalms, we think of the eighth Psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And, and then on down he says this, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels, and hast crowned him with glory and honor, and madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. And then we have the listing of the animals. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Now I know that this is a... Uh, Scripture, a prophetic scripture having to do with and is fulfilled in the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the God-man. But it is speaking also generally of mankind. And God has a program for mankind, and that is for us to have dominion. God wants us to rise to the highest peak of His creation. He wants us to have dominion. He wants to entrust to us a stewardship. We are created, how? In the image of God. Now, if someone, because of sin and because of the world, the flesh, and the devil, if, if they have perversely demeaned themselves to the point that they have not achieved that, that doesn't mean that in Christ they can't uh, you know, rise to that pinnacle, rise to that point. God's plan has always been for us to be our best in and through Christ. God has always desired that we, would, uh, uh, that we would achieve God's ideal, and that is to, in this world, do His will, to fulfill His plan and fulfill His program. So look at it this way. That person who is down there in the gutter, who because of their own sin, because of uh, the mis use of, of their body because of drugs and alcohol and whatever other sins may in, be involved in their, their downward descent. That person that's in the gutter was still originally created in the image of God. God still had a plan for that individual. And if that individual will receive Jesus Christ as Savior, they can be a total and complete transformation. That man doesn't have to pull himself out of the gutter. That woman doesn't have to pull herself out of the gutter. We don't believe in bootstrap salvation or religion. We believe it's all by grace. And we believe that God can save and transform anybody. And if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't be soul winners. And maybe that's why some people who claim to be Bible believers aren't soul winners because they don't really, really believe that God can change all those people with their uh, with their sinful lifestyle, with their perverseness, and so on. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. We're made in the image of God. It is a great comfort to be able to tell people, according to the book of Psalms, that they can still have a future. When they are dreading the consequences of their past, that can be placed under the blood of the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they can have a brand new life. We need to believe that. We need to practice that. 
if we really believe what God says in His Word. Now, my mentor said not only Psalms for comfort, but Proverbs for character. When we think about Christ-like character, here it is. In Proverbs 19, 17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. There it is. There it is. Among a, a, a wide variety of scriptures, here's what we find. We find that the Lord would have us to have pity like He has pity and upon those who are down, those that are not doing well, that uh, have had misfortune or poor fortune, maybe it's self-inflicted. He that hath pity on the poor lendeth unto the Lord. He has focused in on that particular group so that we can manifest our Christ-likeness and our God-likeness in showing kindness to those who maybe haven't even been kind to themselves and, and it's not been a pleasant experience for them. That which he hath given, will he pay him again? In chapter 14 of Proverbs, verse 31, He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. There it is. How do we oppress? By not showing mercy. It's that simple. Chapter 17, verse 5, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his maker, and he that is glad at calamity shall not be unpunished. Listen, don't drive past them as they're panhandling out on the corner and roll down your window and with derision say, Get a job! Don't do that. We didn't reflect Christ when we did that, did we? We didn't draw one soul, one micro inch closer to God. How we treat others reveals our character or lack of it. And how often have we shown ourselves to be so far from the character of Christ? Now, I said my mentor taught that we should get some comfort out of the Psalms, some character out of Proverbs, and power out of the book of Acts. We read in the third chapter of the book of Acts, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily. There he was, daily. Panhandling. Think about that. How many times have you thought, what a disgrace that people are out there on the median and they're panhandling every day. Well, this man was panhandling every day. And I've seen some folks, they, the way they walk, they look like every bone's been busted up or they got arthritis or they got a hip out of joint or something. And so there he is. He's a lame man and he's laid there uh, and he's asking alms of them that entered into the temple. What a contrast at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful. There is anything but a beautiful situation. Who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms, and Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So his life was consigned to begging. He was probably miserable. Then Peter said, Here it is. I know he's a Baptist. He said, Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, I know that we don't have the power, the apostolic power to make lame people walk. But I tell you what, we can help the spiritually lame. We can point people to Jesus Christ. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength and leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He got a little excited. 
He got excited. We need to not leave a horrible situation as it is. We need to be and to do whatever it is that we can do. And you know where I go for my proof text? Let's go to the New Testament, book of James. Book of James. It says in chapter 1, verse 22, But be ye what? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. There it is. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Once again, this doesn't have anything to do with salvation. It's got to do with blessings. It's got to do with rewards. It's got to do with living out Christ before a lost and dying world. It says... In James chapter 2, verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. It is evidence of who's in charge, who's sitting on the throne of our life, by how we deal with people. The next chapter, how we speak to people. Chapter number 4, whether or not we get along or we're at war with people. Think about that. Look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. If you just walk right on by, you leave them alone, you don't try to, try to be a blessing, don't try to help them to realize all that they can have and be and realize the potential that they have in Jesus Christ. Why, to him, to us, it's sin, you see. There it is. Then in chapter number 5 about praying for folks as we talked this morning. How important is it for us to do what we've said tonight in the Word of God. This lost and dying world will never come to God unless they sense something about what we have that is better, it is desirable than what they haven't got. That who we are and they can be is better than who they are not at this time, but can be. That's what folks need. They need an example. And without us trying to put on a performance or put on a show, we need to yield ourselves from the crown of our head to the soles of our feet and be filled with the Spirit and allow Him to work through our life to touch the lives of others. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, and nobody looking. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the Word of God spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. What are we going to do about it? We're going to make a difference? Let's uh, determine tonight that we're going to make a difference. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, would you right now receive Christ as your Savior? Just pray from your heart to God. Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, would you slip your hand up? Anyone at all? Let's stand to our feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to sing together. I would like to introduce tonight our mixed vocal ensemble for the very first time. About 100 years ago, 
a good old country boy by the name of Albert Brumley put to music Psalm 55, 6. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then would I fly away and be at rest. to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. 